Hey team, welcome to episode 75 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Well, before we get going, we wanted to share some big, big news. NDP has a new web address. You can now find us online at ndptransitions.com. We've grown quite a bit over the last 15 years as we've become a full-service dental transition partner, and we wanted to reflect that change. We're still the same team, the same brand you've come to know, but we have slightly new look and a new name, and if you've ever emailed us before, new email addresses. So find us on our website at ndptransitions.com, and if you need to locate one of our team members, info at ndptransitions.com. So now that that's out in the open, let's get going. So in this episode, we wanted to circle back on something we did three years ago, if that's even possible. And we wanted to paint the picture of the perfect selling dentist who's ready for his or her buyer and try to get an understanding of what comes next. If you've listened to episode nine and 10, you know how to prepare yourself and your dental practice in a transition. Let's assume you've checked off those episodes. If you haven't, go back and listen and you're ready to move forward. What are your next steps? What should you expect? We're going to dive into those steps a little bit deeper in this episode and cover some new topics. But before we do that, Mr. Loretto. Hey girl. Hello. How are you? So you're saying that you and Joellen are not happy with the dental placement name any longer since we haven't placed dental associates in, I don't know, a dozen years. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm thinking that maybe I loved the name. It actually has been really hard to not say it and not type it, but I feel like we're kind of, it's the same, right? We've evolved. We've kind of just been going by NDP for a while now. I know. And so now we don't have to explain that we don't actually place people anymore. Well, we're so much more. You we know? are so we're much more We're a transition now. company. The name should reflect exactly. what you do. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So always remember where it came from. So anything new as we round out summer and enter fall, which is really just summer part four in Texas? Well, empty nester mm. as of this weekend. So yeah, it is fun times. I used to think when I was in my you know 20s, the 30s look cool. Your 30s, like this is the greatest age, 40s. But then you're in kid phase. It's like, oh my God, just, I didn't want to get the kids to bed and have a margarita. But I'm telling you, this phase of my life, I'm pretty dang happy. I love it. I mean, the kids are happy. You know, Roxanne and I are good. So it's a travel fun time. I'm a little jealous, but I know it's coming. I'm also trying to have the perspective of I get to do this instead I have to do this, you know, because at nine o'clock at night or 830 or whatever, and you're like bedtime, you're like, got to put the kids to bed. I'm like, I "I get to put my children to bed and I get to read them stories and I will not get to do that very long. I'm seeing all these people send their kiddos off to college and all the tears and all the fun, but also like the, this is kind of different. This is not how the last 18 years have gone. So I'm just trying to savor it. Well, I think this episode is a good, uh, maybe the timing is right. It's just, it's being ready. You know, you Uh want to be ready for these major events in life and you're always looking, you know, to me, I always try to look at somebody that's ahead of me Mm -hmm. to see where they are and get their perspective on what they would have done differently. And so now it's fun to be the older guy in the room and is looking and listening to people. My mother gave me some great advice. 
don't give advice to someone unless they ask. Oh man, that's yeah. some good stuff. I mean, stuff. on a personal level, I guess on a podcast level, you're just giving general advice to the public. Yeah, you know? we're, we're not listening here. <laughs> we're actually doing the opposite. You don't want it? Listen to the podcast. No, but that's actually a great segue because we actually are making our clients or potential clients as For they sure. call us and say, hey, I'm thinking about transitioning. I've got this associate. I want to you know, sell 100%, but I don't have someone. How to make sure that they truly understand what this process will be we say hey go listen to these episodes this episode that we're recording today will be one of those episodes right. so as we go i want to recap kind of what nine and ten were nine was more walk away which doesn't mean you like toss keys at the door but just you're selling 100 so just so we're all real clear about that and then 10 was partnership and i think both of those episodes have similarities in the fact that there are two things that have to occur before you can sell anything or transition anything. And that is you personally have to be ready to transition and your practice has to be ready to transition. You can certainly transition if you or your practice are not ready, but it's probably not gonna be the process or experience or value or just legacy that a lot of people we work with want to leave right. or lead. That's what we're gonna talk about today. So this was something you wanted to dive in a bit further into just based on kind of some calls you've had recently. And so, you know, if we're talking about what are your next steps, right? Let's start this conversation off. So one thing is buyers, as you're listening, is this message definitely pertains to you because as you're interviewing sellers, you certainly want to hear their kind of plan and direction, you know, as well. So just super important on that front. And then for my sellers, it's always about just locating that person. One of the, and the hardest things I think that the sellers have is just number one, making that decision and two, just like what to do from that point. And I'm always just a big, big proponent of getting your entire team involved and getting them to understand your why. It could be, we have an opportunity to grow. I'm thinking, you know, at some point I got to retire. You know, we need to be able to transition our patients to someone. Just get them involved in the process and get them to understand, making sure you understand what your kind of financial outcome with this mm -hmm. kind of option is to sell 100% or the associate or it's a partner thing. And then once you have a, I would call it a concrete plan there, then getting even your team to be involved mm -hmm. and to, to do some of the interviews. So I think that first step is just identifying the need and then actually taking some action items to, to finding that person and, and getting your team around it from a support standpoint. Yeah, and I think some of these things can be done in advance because you may know when you're ready, but you may not know when you're gonna meet the person that is the potential buyer, right? And we'll get into kind of rural versus urban, but if you don't live in an urban kind of competitive market, you may have to search long and hard for the person who ultimately transitions into your practice, or they may just kind of fall in your lap when you're not expecting them, right? So like, as you approach that final transition age or that you start seeing whatever goal you have mapped out, I think the more you can think about these pieces, the better prepared you will be whenever that person comes into your world that you can kind of take action and like know what your plan is versus being like, oh, this person's here no idea what I'm doing or if I'm ready or how to be ready or, you know, who I'm going to hire to help me. Again, that education component. So let's start with like what to do when you meet the buyer or the buyer comes into your world. Right. Go back to why you're going to go do this. So number one reason is uh, you're physically not capable anymore. Mm -hmm. Something happened to you, you know, physically. So that's one reason that you're going after this. Two is, you know, it could be the mental capacity. You can't take it any longer. It could be maybe you're in great health 
but you can't physically just see the demands, the 30 to 40 new patients or the procedure, your doctor production or hygiene or your cases or whatever it may be is so far booked out that from a financial planning standpoint, it's just an opportunity. So you have to know that there's going to be some reason at some point that you do cross this road. But when you do meet that buyer, you just want to have a plan. You, you want to be able to be a great interviewer to this person. This is where you are prepared. You know, you're not just kind of winging it, but you have the vision of where the practice is. You know, it's a four chair practice. We're adding two more chairs. I've already picked out the general contractor. Here's how I envision these patients being transitioned over to you. Here's my clinical vision. Here's my weakness. Here's opportunity where I'd like us to take, you know, maybe these, maybe courses together. Here's some of my treatment plans. Here's my case acceptance. Philosophically, this is where we're at. If there's a building like giant project, we're gonna have to actually go build a building, not just adding ops, be able to share that. Technology changes. Like we really wanna think about where the practice is currently and where it's going. And that way you can interview this person to make sure they align. And so you can kind of share your story with them so that they can see it get excited about it. And then once they have kind of passed that test, then of course we want them in some really deep interviews with perhaps your consulting team, a transition team, certainly with your team. We certainly want to get spouses involved, their spouse, your spouse, and you want to be slow to this process. If you give somebody like our team a solid six months of, hey, I'm talking to this person, what do you think? They have to give notice. They would come into the practice. They would maybe work as an associate for a year. Oh my gosh, our pulse and anxiety just, it really drops because we have plenty of time to kind of plan this out. We can certainly do it where the guy just shows up and the gal just shows up and, hey, help me. But it does cause for a little bit more anxiety on all parts, both your part and their part. So just really think this process through. Don't wait until there's some type of emergency. I always tell people is when you own a stock, that's your dental practice, you've got an ability to grow it or an ability to look at it and stay constant. As a seller, you're always looking to grow your business and to grow your business means to bring team members on and the key person you're always bringing on is that associate dentist. Then you got to understand the why of potentially have an equity position in it. Yeah. And I think too, from a win to bring someone else into the conversation, what we find is that if there's too long of a gap where just you and the buyer are talking and trying to develop a plan and maybe talking structure and talking price, and you're kind of going round and round before you bring other professionals in, deal fatigue is real, the confusion is real, the frustration becomes real, and then you bring on a team, they kind of have to work against what has already been said and done and all of these kind of underlying emotions and I don't think it's as, it's as efficient because it's a lot and it, it's a confusing process if you're not in it day to day and it, you only do it once. And so I think the sooner you can bring someone in, I think the less stress for you, for the buyer, oftentimes less cost for all parties involved because you're not having to kind of rework things or rethink things or, hey, we thought we agreed on that. Yeah, well, the structure changed and so now all these other pieces changed. So we have just found that transitions that engage people in the beginning are more timely, less hassle for both parties, and oftentimes less expensive than those that drag out for a while before someone's brought in, right? So like most people don't save time or money by doing it on their own. Yeah, there's going to be an investment for the seller for the vast majority of time on this mm -hmm. project. I mean, you're investing maybe in a marketing change, you're investing in chairs, you're investing maybe clinical assistance, a CE, there's a chance they don't work out, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a huge investment on your side. And so the, the old model of just hiring an associate, here's a 
30% of adjusted production, and let's talk about it in two years and see if it works out. There's a lot of just stuff that's in the air now from private equity or some social media telling you that your practice is worth this amount and the buyer thinking that they grew the practice. There's so many things and you really just want to be kind of an open book about it from the very beginning and be transparent about all the investments that need to go on and the ability to share all that information, including the financials with the associate kind of future partner in your practice to me is absolutely critical for success. Absolutely. So we have the person. Timing of transition matters, I think, a lot. And there's a lot of ways this matters. But when I think of this, I kind of think of the size of your practice and kind of what type of transition. Like clearly, if you want a partnership and you're bringing someone on, that the size of your practice matters. But the size of your practice also matters as far as when you decide you're going to walk away, right? If you have a five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand collection level practice, you probably aren't going to be able to work back very long. But the type of procedures you do probably depend on how much you're needed, right? So it's always the kind of this balancing act of what type of transition, how long do you want to stay around, and what capacity does your practice and buyer have in keeping you around if it's that walk away type of a sale. So what are your thoughts here when we talk about timing of transition and kind of what do you see most as like the roadblock or are things people aren't thinking about? Well, I mean, like you just discussed, I mean, it really depends on the type of transaction. So if it's a, a walk away sell or a partnership there's so many things to think about i mean it's, it's the total collections it's the number of chairs number of new patients it's the ability honestly to take financial statements and add on the direct cost and add on the revenue and to see what the story is going to tell us i mean numbers mm-hmm. always say in our business they tell mm-hmm. a story so if you've got a million two three five seven two million dollar business they're going to tell a story. And so got a, a surgeon I was recently talking with that's doing like 5 million of collections, 5 million by himself. You know, that tells me a story. He's very busy. <laughs> he physically can't do it. He's like the top 1% of surgeons. It tells me, oh my God, we need somebody. It tells me I just want time. I got plenty of money. You know, I need someone to help free up my time so I can have more time and maybe spend some more time with my family. If it's a 500 or 600 or a million dollar practice, those numbers will tell me stories as well, both from a buyer perspective and a seller perspective. The number of chairs that you have, so that it starts to tell us. So if you have the space, you've got the patient flow, your financial plan is set, procedures, doctor procedures are that far booked out and you physically can't do anymore as a seller. These are all the indicators that are telling me that yes, you are ready for somebody now. It's just about that plan. And I always reverse that to say buyers, that's exactly who you're looking for when you're doing this very strategic meeting when you're meeting the sellers is you're literally looking for those answers to be, I have the space, I have the production, I have new patient flow, I'm in a good financial situation. I have a plan, okay? These are all the cues that would get you very excited about how do I proceed in this relationship because that's exactly what you as the buyer want to hear. And, and you know, for a seller, this is a recruiting process. You know, you should not just be interviewing one candidate. You should be interviewing multiple candidates, you and your team should, so that when you do find that right one with the right answers, then you've got a better pool and can hopefully eliminate, you know, a disaster if it didn't work out, which 
you got to prepare yourself. This can happen, especially if you don't do a good job on the front end. Yep, absolutely. And then the big one here, which always kind of derails the timing, if we don't think about it beforehand, is the financial plan, right, of the seller. So whether you want to or not, sometimes your financial plan dictates your ability to transition. And so how far in advance should they be thinking about this? Kind of what do you advise from that perspective, just from your Keen Waters? Well, it's most important from a financial planning standpoint, if you're selling outright. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a million dollar practice and it nets 400 grand, and you're selling outright. I mean, you've got to tell me, hey, Charles, I've got several million in the bank, financially set, I'm debt free. I've got enough assets to send me a check. This is a bonus, mm-hmm. the fact that I'm selling mm-hmm. this practice. So that would give me certain comfort to say, absolutely, let's consult you through this process. If you have a business, the million, two million, three practice, it's making four to $500,000, and your financial plan is either working or not working, your business is still flat. So in my opinion, your practice is actually dictating that you can afford to bring somebody in. Your financial Mm -hmm. plan is just going to be a bonus that we get to pull equity out at an earlier stage than a later stage. So to me, I think financial plan weighs a lot more important to me if I'm selling the entire thing. Or selling it shortly, right? Like I can afford, like the goal of this partnership is growth versus transition out. Yep. Yeah. Uh, great. Oh my God. I'm glad you said that because this here's a perfect example. Let's say that I have a one point five million dollar practice with a fifty percent overhead and it's seven fifty that I take home. And guess what? I spend seven fifty. I spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in federal and state taxes and my lifestyle is with four kids in private school and three cars and this and this and this, I spend forty thousand a month. Your financial plan says and no. Yep. Right. So you're exactly right. Your financial plan does your your practice will say you can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. But now we need to now grow the clinical side of the practice to maybe two, 2.2, 2.3. And maybe your financial plan says you can afford to sell one third of the practice because now we know that you still need that $40,000 or Mm $35,000 of cash flow to make your house work if that was your lifestyle. So yeah, really, really good point. Good observation. Yeah. And that leads into this next piece of it, which is more like the valuation of your practice and how much you're going to get, right? Because most of the time, I think at least some of the clients we work with, they don't really understand like how much they're actually getting from their practice because they're running things through and they're, you know, their cell phones. And so the, the cash that they get, it's not like someone who gets a paycheck and knows exactly how much they're living on each month as an owner, you kind of have all these flexibility in kind of how you spend your money and where you spend your money. And so understanding, the value and the price that you're going to get, right, is twofold. It's usually a process that allows someone like our team to go through your financials and pull out and kind of highlight, here's what your discretionary income truly is, not just what you're making in, you know, wages. And then two, here's what you could get for your practice, which then goes into what you were saying of like, okay, well then you're going to get a lump sum of X if you sell 50 or 25 or 33%. And then here's what you'll be left with, right? And here's kind of how the money will be split after. Or here's what 100% of your practice is worth. And now will that be enough to kind of fulfill whatever your obligations are moving forward? So I think that the valuation piece is what a lot of people focus on at first, which is good and common. I just always kind of want to make the distinction for formal valuation versus kind of what is your practice worth 
or what is the value of your practice, right? It might sound like I'm saying the exact same thing, but the distinction there is a formal valuation of your practice is a process where you come and hire someone like NDP to actually give you a report that has a number on it. And that number is the value of your practice based on the methodology and standards, okay? That is it. The next piece of it is more of a seller consulting focus, which says, hey, here's what the market price of your practice is or the value of your practice is in the market, right? And so the distinction there is, what your practice is worth or what the value is is what someone's willing to pay for it, right? And sometimes the market does demand something higher than what a formal valuation will say. I would say a lot of the time those things are the same price, right? Those are the same thing. You know, ortho is a great example, right? We've both dealt and had clients where there's been, you know, a practice that sold for 110%, right? A practice probably wouldn't value like that from a formal perspective at that level, but they've sold for that. And the buyer and seller and the transition terms and the uniqueness of that opportunity and their individual circumstances made that work, right? And that was the value of that practice. And so understanding one, how do I want to find out my number? But then two, I think just basic level understanding what that number is is a very kind of first step in this process of wanting to transition. Well, this past week I went to Gorp and I got to hang out with uh, the lovely Don Whitehurst who does uh, our valuation. She leads our valuation team. And so, you know, when you travel with the old Loretto, you're going to have a good glass of wine. And so we get to talk and get a little chat and get a little what's on your mind. What stresses do you have? And she was just telling me about some of the really complicated valuations that she's leading. I think she'll do 60 plus this year. And they're complicated. And I quickly, during dinner, I looked at her and I said, give me a second. And I sent Joelle in a message. I was like, new podcast. And so we've got <laughs> our next podcast is going to be on just the complexity of, of the transition. So first, let me just say that. Number one, the valuation process is extremely complicated. There's so many different nuances that will cause it to be a certain thing. So I'm just going to tease you for a second there. Tune in next month to the valuation episode. So, yeah, so, so number one. one is it's get complicated. Number two alluded to earlier is my million dollar million five practice i'm making 700 grand christy you come into my practice we Mm -hmm. grow it we're doing two four now it nets i don't know half of that you know one two maybe i'm selling 40 percent of you so i'm still making my seven hundred thousand i was making before something like that okay but the financial plan and the benefit of doing this process and bringing christy into the practice i get to grow it I get to hopefully become more profitable and then I get to value it and I get to bring her in, share some of the work. I get more time, hopefully, get to focus on the cases I want to do and I get to pull the equity out and it impacts my financial plan. Okay, so this is your why. This is your the story that you and your spouse need to understand, your financial planners, your practice transition, your accountant. This is what your why is and this is how you're setting up to your team of why we're going to do this. Then now you have a why to your buyer. I mean, it's a whole title of this episode. Just just be prepared. Be able to see your vision of how this is going to play out. And you're a better person to partner with, quite honestly. Yep. And it allows you, I mean, that process allows you to understand like your financials. It allows cleaner tax returns and accounting and just understanding your practice at a level that you... We have many, many clients who have said, hey, going through this process and like answering all your questions helped me understand business more, find things that were misclassified, 
understand this whole process, which then again, like you just said, allows you to be a better seller and a better partner and allows you to kind of be set up for that transition, whether in whole or in part. So I think the valuation process and pricing, I think that's first in everyone's mind because they want to know the number. But I think it's also critical for all of these other pieces and helps you just be better prepared to enter that process with like good expectations and a good understanding of of what you're offering someone. So, okay, expectations by specialty and by location. Let's kind of talk about these together and give me your thoughts kind of there because we have sellers that kind of come to us with various pieces of knowledge from kind of the old internet. So let's talk about that. Well, I think just some general rules that, you know, a... If all the specialties, GP practices, if they were all the same, call it a million dollar practice, and let's say it had a 55% overhead, and it was in relatively good condition as far as equipment, nothing really kind of stood out. It doesn't have to be all brand new, but let's just say within the last eight years or so, this stuff's been kind of updated and finished out. And I would say a general statement is probably, yeah, you, you probably have a valuation somewhere in the 80% uh, percent of collections. A million dollar practice is probably there. Are there exceptions? Absolutely. You know, you may be a little bit better overhead, could be an orthodontic practice that, you know, is basically saying, well, private equity is offering this. This is what I want to do. This is how it's going to work. You know, sometimes you have to know if you're if you're in the driver's seat or in the passenger seat. And uh, certain, I believe, specialists, I think, are more, from a buyer's perspective, a little bit more in that driver's seat. So you just have to know that. So you may see a surgeon the ability to, to request a valuation before they get there, or at least some type of component that at least real expectations about, hey, based on this overhead, based on the situation, we would think that the practice value would come at this level. You know, I guess I'd put it back to you, Christy, when you think about the valuations that you've done, you've literally done hundreds at this point, what are the hard conversations that you've had to have for any practices that kind of became The hard conversation is telling a buyer that the value is higher, right? Yeah. I mean, or that the seller, that it's lower, right? Right. Than they expect it to be 100%. So I got to tell this story. So GP practice in Florida has a 45% hygiene practice. So very hygiene driven and like a $3 million practice. And the overall overhead is like 40%. So the valuation on a $3 million practice came in at $3 million. So if you would pull a bunch of dentists in a room and say, would you pay 100% of a GP practice in Florida? Yeah, you're gonna, the answer is no. Nope. But if you look at the amount of dentistry that those doctors are doing, the clinical dentistry, and then the fact that they're checking hygiene and the profit that they're making, mm-hmm. are you willing to buy in yes or no? Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, when you look at the financial statements and you go, all you're going to do is 50000 clinical, you're going to check these hygienists, you're going to make that. I get that it's going to be more expensive than the rest, but that is a no-brainer for me. Yep. So there are circumstances like that. Yep. And there's ortho practices that here they should be getting the higher upper end of every extreme, but they've got no contract receivable because they're all their patients are fully prepaid or they've got patients that have been in treatment a long time and still have a lot of treatment to go and are fully paid. And so that's sometimes a hard conversation too, to say like, you've gotten all that benefit and the new person coming in, not in a partnership situation, but in a walkaway situation, new person coming in, isn't going to get any of that money. And they still have all these patients they have to care for. Right. And so, those are hard conversations too because we're battling what we've heard from private equity and DSO and from you know the AAO or whatever specialty right perio is really hard to find a buyer right so like understanding that like 
your specialty is going to depend on how quickly maybe you find someone if you aren't lucky enough to have that person in your realm already, you know, how much production they can do. You know, we have weirdly have a lot of like doctor and a half practices where it's like a husband wife team or like two siblings or some kind of family relationship where they're looking to transition and now we've got to find someone to replace them or they only have one person and how do we build that person in while taking the other person out so like the expectation of where you are and your specialty and like your procedure mix and your practice and your value I think are things that again this is the best guidebook we can give you right it's not black and white there's a lot of gray and so doing this work on the front end to understand what you're selling, what the market is, is critical and like not being disappointed or not having expectations that like no one's going to be able to meet in the private market. Well, let me just say this to my orthodontist. So if you're an orthodontist and you're a $2 million practice and you say, well, ABC company offered me $5 million for my practice. And so I got Johnny here and I know that most practices will value in the ortho side like hundred percent of collection. So why am I going to sell my practice in value for 2 million versus four to five million, okay? Well, private equity is completely different than selling to Johnny, okay? Because if you're gonna partner with Johnny or sell 100% of Johnny, you can walk away. So if you sell 100% to a private buyer, you are out. You can literally say, bye-bye, give my $2 million and walk away. If you sell it to a private equity group, they are going to require you that you are going to stay for X number of years and now you're going to be at a pay cut. So those two scenarios could not be more opposite. So you can't bring that into the equation and say, well, this happened, so I want this. It's just not how it works. And so we do a really good job of just making sure we're setting expectations, both with our seller and even if our buyer is approached by the seller and says, hey, you want to sell the practice, but private equity said this, they want me to pay this. It's just two different offers because one has a major contingency equity position that you know, you're know you not gonna get 100% of your money out of it. They're just completely different. So you don't even start and go down that road to make that comparison. Yep, 100%. Next piece, um, I feel like we've talked about this a few times, um, episode 56 and 69 and 27, all kind of handle this, but let's say you've kind of done this work and it's time to do that transition, or maybe it's not, but maybe you know it's coming the team and the people that you call on and hire and engage to help you through this process is critical i think in the success they're absolutely i can count on one hand the number of transitions we've had or kind of been involved in where like they're like you know what i think we can work this out ourselves that have like gone and worked but the others you know this is again something you will do one time in your life and it's complex and there's two humans and we've said that a lot too You have to be the leader and you are expected to be the leader of this process as the seller. And so who you hire and who you have on your team to help you do all of these things, either before you're ready or when it's time to actually like put the ball into motion can make a big impact on the success of the transition. So, I mean, that is legal, real estate, your accountant, your tax, you know, preparer, your pension administrator, like who are your vendors, like understanding what kind of contracts you have, how do those transfer, what are their benefits in transition, your transition team, right? Like who's going to value the practice, who's going to lead the charge in episode 56, we say be the leader, like 
you are in charge of this and your team represents you, right? And so you tell your team what to do and your team is a representation on you. And if your team doesn't know what they're doing, the buyer and the buyer's team are gonna know that and they're gonna probably call you out on it. And so do the research you need to do to hire the right people and know that it's an investment in in the success of that transition. Yeah, I mean, so sellers, how we work with buyers is when, when they bring us a deal, and maybe it's an evaluation because it was through a broker and we look at it, well, at least with a broker, and if it's gonna be a 100% sale, I know that at least the broker has a, a huge financial incentive. They've probably done this before, who the broker is. I feel pretty good about my buyer getting through the process. It's gonna be a partnership. Man, I get super big paws. I'm like, who's leading the charge? What group is taking them through this process? Or if it's not a broker where it's just a seller, it's like, well, I met the seller and I did a mail campaign. We started talking and he wants to sell or she wants to sell to me. And I'm like, okay, well, who's leading the way? Well, you know, I think he or she's going to rely on their accountant. What? Have they done this before? I mean, tell me they have bought and sold five practices and they have the attorney and everything's lined up. Perfect. I, I've got a little bit less anxiety, but to think that the seller is just going to one off, just be able to do everything and just Christy just got through saying it's very complicated and it's very tedious and time consuming. And so you really have to, it's like building a house. You've got to have the GC that's, that it really knows what they're doing to orchestrate the plumber. The plumber has the equipment, what days they're coming in. And it's just a beautiful orchestrated event to pull off the amazing house that gets, you know, you've got lending that's coming in. Are you ready here? Are you ready here? I mean, it's just, you got to have a plan. That's a really good, I would say, challenge to you sellers. Do you have a GC that's that's running your show? Are you going to run it yourself? No problem. Just prove to us that you've done that project before. Yeah. And that same analogy, like you have to communicate with your GC, right? Like, do you want a modern aesthetic? Do you want traditional? Do you want tile? Do you want wood floors? You know what I mean? Like you are still the leader. You are hiring someone and you are communicating with that person to tell them what kind of transition and what your goals are. If you can't communicate what your goals are and what your needs are based on all of these other things we've talked about throughout the earlier episode, your GC is not going to be able to do and build the house that you want built. And so like that communication and your clear head and clear expectations and kind of clear goals way back to, you know, are you ready and is your practice ready are the critical components there. So hundred percent. Through that GC analogy, it seems like everybody I know is like buying, building, fixing up something. <laughs> Such a ridiculous let's talk process. About, let's talk about that kitchen reno on our next <laughs> intro. Okay. So before we sign off, know, as we've just said, there are going to be obstacles, right? There are going to be hurdles you're going to have to cross, but there's also going to be a lot of reward. And with the proper preparation and guidance, you'll be able to put yourself in a favorable position to tackle those and to reap that benefit of transition. So that is all we have for today. Thank you for joining us on episode 75, 75 of Transition Talk. And as always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe to Transition Talk wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, folks. Thanks, team.